Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Hello and welcome to this edition of the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. Boy, do we have some great announcements in the cafe this week that have happened. The launch of the 500 Club writing sprints. We made an announcement about DabbleCon, something that's coming up later this year that you definitely don't want to miss. And lots of live events to keep you motivated, challenged, and informed. Be sure to go to storycraft.cafe to catch up on what's going on and to join in the community and the conversation. This past Friday, Destiny Salter joined us in the cafe for a live presentation of her Story Hacking 101 Character Development and Evolution. If you missed that last Friday, don't worry. We're going to bring you the audio of that on today's podcast. You don't want to miss this. If you are working on a story and your characters are just not jumping off the page like you want them to let destiny help you through some of the process of developing those characters you don't want to miss this before we get over to destiny though let's listen to robin cook talk about how even though you might write you know 20 30 novels the process is still uh work it 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 never gets completely easy although it might uh get easier (laughs) let's listen to robin talk about how writing is still uh, a challenge and still something that you have to work at no matter how deep into the process you get no it's it's that's still a stress (laughs) it's uh it's not easy to do it seems and looks easy when when after you've put in a lot of effort and it reads so easily it seems like it must just sort of flow out well it doesn't quite it's it's actually uh it's a lot of work writing is a lot of work and in fact you become exhausted when you write which is strange because you're just sitting there but my feeling is is that writing requires you to use more sections of your brain simultaneously than just about anything else we do. Um, it's, it's, you're using you're not only using the motor areas of your brain, your sensitive uh, sensitivity areas, but also your memory and not only just your memory in terms of events, but memory in terms of emotions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So huge area of your brain is all firing away I guess and I think that's what makes makes writing um, uh, difficult and and why it's it's so hard sometimes to actually get yourself to sit down and start um, you know you think of all sorts of other things oh gosh I didn't pay that electric bill I better do that oh well wait a minute maybe I should uh, sweep off the walk uh, I saw some some leaves on the wall. I mean it's amazing all the things you think about uh, and, and, and then have to force yourself to sit down to write. I, and I believe it's that. I believe it's the fact that uh, it's, it requires your, you use a, more areas of your brain. Um, 
and writing. You use a lot more areas of your brain when you write than when you read, and um, uh, and you use even less when you watch. So uh, that's any anyway. I, I've thought about that a lot because I I've wrestled with my um, discipline sometimes when I'm in the middle of a book, and sometimes it's a little hard to actually get going. I am super excited to be here today. We have Destiny Salter here to talk about character development with us. Um, she is amazing. She has done stuff for Dabble in the past. We love her. She's great. And um, I'm going to let her introduce herself and kind of get this ball rolling. And then I'm going to pop out and I'll be back at the end to give her some audience questions. So if you have any questions, feel free to just put them in the chat or you can put them in the comment section on in the cafe. Either way, I'll be checking both and then I'll make sure to give those to her at the end. So yeah, hi and welcome. Hello, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm gonna be sharing my screen in a moment. I have some slides and some visual aids prepared for you guys. Um, and I'm really excited to get started and to show you guys some really um, fun and unique strategies that I've been teaching my students. Um, so today we're really gonna be learning about character development um, how to get to the core of who your character is, how to determine who your character is um, deep, deep down, and then also how you can create meaningful relationships in fiction. Um, because as we're about to discuss, uh, showing how the character interacts with the different people in their life is one of the best ways uh, to get that character development across in a really um, efficient and powerful way. So I have my phone here. So if you see me looking down, I'm not texting. I am <laughs> looking at my notes. So as I said, we're going to be talking about character development and evolution today. And it says Story Hacking 101. Um, and for those who are confused, story hacking is just basically what I call my approach to storytelling. And I call it that because it's been um, reverse engineered for me studying hundreds of stories to see what consistently works and why. Um, after years of analyzing stories in all different genres um, and all different types of stories, books, movies, TV shows, etc., I've taken pains to understand uh, what are the move the needle elements that really contribute to producing a powerful and memorable story? Um, so story hacking is kind of reverse engineering based off of what already is proven to work. So with no further ado, let's dive right in. A little bit about me. Um, so I have been a writing and storytelling nerd for pretty much my entire life. Um, I really got into um, books and writing at six years old when I discovered The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Um, I studied English and creative writing at Princeton's exclusive creative writing program. And there I was able to be mentored by New York Times bestselling authors and some people that really helped me move me along in my writing journey. Um, I also spent some time working in the publishing industry. I worked at some of the top literary agencies in New York City. Um, and I also have experience from the writer's side. Um, I'm a fiction author myself and I've been writing full length manuscripts since I was 11 years old. Um, I've been a editor and a story coach for about five years now, it's actually going on six. Um, and my writing strategies, as you'll see, are really informed by psychology um, and emotional intelligence. I really take a psychological approach to storytelling um, and you'll see why in just a moment. So today in this workshop, um, you're going to discover the real purpose of storytelling, which is not what most people think. Uh, we're gonna talk about what actually makes for a compelling character the key to determining who your character is at their core. 
how to force your character to evolve for better or for worse, depending on the type of story you're telling, and the four ingredients you need to write meaningful relationships in fiction. So let's get into it. So first, let's talk about what is the true purpose of a story. Um, I feel like uh, if you're going to do anything well, you need to approach it with clarity and intention. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time hitting the right notes and sticking the landing. Um, and it's kind of amazing how many people write stories and don't think about what the purpose of the story is. So typically when I ask people this question, I get three different answers. Um, some people say the purpose of a story is to teach or to educate. Um, some people say it's to entertain. Um, it's supposed to engage people, make people laugh. Other people say stories don't have a purpose at all. They're purely escapist. Um, and while all of these things can be true, I don't think any of them, in my opinion, are the true purpose of what a story is supposed to do. The purpose of a story is to make your reader feel something. Um, stories, we read stories not just to escape, not just to learn. We read stories in order to understand more about ourselves and the world around us. Um, we read them for a feeling of connection, um, to be less alone with our own pains and sorrows, regrets. Um, that's what a story is supposed to do. And so in order to create a memorable, powerful novel, it's essential that you make a story that emotionally engages the reader. Um, so the purpose of a story is to make your reader feel something. And it's really important to understand this as we move forward, um, because that's exactly what all the strategies I'm going to teach you today uh, are going to help you do. Help you make a story and create characters um, and develop relationships that leave the reader emotionally impacted by the end. Um, and this is how you create a story that the reader remembers long after they put down, the type of story that engages someone so much um, that they are dying to leave you a five-star review um, or to recommend it to their friends, which is, at the end of the day, what we're all looking for. So the goal, I teach people how to create people, uh, how to create memorable, powerful stories. Um, and by that, I mean stories with depth. And the bedrock of any powerful story um, is relationships, is characters. It's a character's relationship to themselves and to other people. So whenever I'm helping someone write or revise a novel, we always, always, always start with character. Character is absolutely the bedrock of any powerful story. Um, I've heard in the past some people say that there are plot-driven stories and character-driven stories. Um, and while this is kind of technically true, it's a bit of a fallacy. Um, there are no powerful plot-driven stories. When you think plot-driven, think of movies like The Transformers, for example, um, where there's pretty much non-existent character development um, and the movie is just basically a series of exciting events that happen. Powerful stories are always, always, always character-driven. Um, the character should be the one that is pushing the story forward, and the story should be one that is custom-made for your point-of-view characters. Um, because characters are the reader's point of connection to your story world. They're seeing all the events of the story through the character's eyes. And so it's really important that they are fleshed out, um, that they are three-dimensional and well-developed. It's important that you understand your characters inside and out. Um, otherwise, there's not a prayer that your reader will. Um, so what exactly makes a character compelling in the first place? Well, there are four main things. They must be sympathetic, which is different than likable. Sympathetic just means that the reader cares about them. A character can be sympathetic and be a terrible, 
horrible human being. Um, think of Walter White from Breaking Bad or Don Draper from Mad Men. People will love to root for evil characters as long as they are sympathetic. Um, if the character is too likable, um, too perfect, which we'll talk about in a second, it can actually be pretty counterproductive uh, to making them want to root for the character. They also should be nuanced, meaning that they have layers. They're not one note. Um, they are many different things. They are complex, just like real people. They're flawed, meaning they're not perfect. A lot of people feel like they need to make their characters uh, what's sometimes called Mary Sue's, which is essentially just these perfect, flawless characters who never do anything wrong um, because they are afraid that if they don't do that, the reader isn't going to like them and therefore they're going to put the book down. But in reality, we really connect to and relate to flawed characters because we're all flawed human beings. And lastly, a compelling character is active, meaning they go after what they want. Um, the events of the story don't just happen to them. They make the events of the story happen. Um, and so I recommend um, that everything I show you today, that you go through this process, and we'll talk about what exactly the process is in a moment, um, but that you go through this process for all of your point of view characters. So it's important to understand that your reader isn't you. Um, most of the strategies that I'll be talking about assume that you have a good handle on who your character is. You have the basics down. Um, you, uh, this might not be super helpful if you have absolutely no idea who your character is. Chances are though, you know a good deal about your characters because you're the one who created them. They were born in your head. But the problem is the reader isn't you. The reader didn't create the character. They don't automatically know all this information and the character's whole life story. And so you're gonna have to go through pains to make sure you connect the dots between character motivation and character behavior. And this is a problem I've seen in so many manuscripts over the years where it seems like the character is just doing things just because the story requires it, just because the plot requires it, or doing things that don't really fit with their personality just because the author wants them to do that thing. Or you'll have a character do something that's inexplicable, that you don't understand why they did it. It doesn't really make any sense to you. Um, and that only serves to frustrate the reader. So you're gonna have to make sure that you connect the dots between who your character is and why they do the things they do and what they do. So this is the iceberg. Um, I go really in depth when it comes to character development. I even have an entire character framework to help develop characters from scratch um, in less than 15 minutes. But I make sure people know their characters really, really, really well before they get into the nitty gritty of writing. Um, because if you do this, it will save you so many problems on the back end. Um, you're not going to have to deal with as much writer's block. You're not really going to get stuck. You're not going to have to wonder what your character would do when XYZ event happens because you'll know them so well, it'll be obvious. But, but, you're not going to have the space in your novel to show every little aspect and facet of your character. So you have to pick what you show very intentionally. Uh, you have to pick the details, um, throw them into the events show the scenes that convey the most amount of information, the most relevant information, and conveys the information most poignantly and concisely. So I use the iceberg example. Um, icebergs look huge when you see pictures of them, but what you're seeing is just scratches the surface. It's a whole, this whole other part underneath the surface of the water. So this is everything you should know about your character 
and this is what you show. And it's important that you pick what these details are very carefully and very intentionally. So the question becomes, how do you reveal character? Assuming you know who your character is pretty decently, how do you reveal that to the reader? Um, well, for this, I turned to Robert McKee. He wrote the book Story. Um, he's also a story coach. Highly recommend uh, you check him out. He has some really great stuff. And he says, true characters revealed in the choices a human being makes under pressure. The greater the pressure, the deeper the revelation, the truer the choice to the character's essential nature. Um, that is one of my favorite quotes in storytelling because it's so true. In a story, you're supposed to basically put the character into the biggest pickle possible and not just for the heck of it. You're doing this because the choices that character makes when their back is against the wall shows who they really, really are. Robert McKee also says, nothing moves forward in a story except through conflict. Another golden rule of storytelling. Nothing moves forward in a story except through conflict. And so the best way to reveal who our characters are um, and to develop their arcs is to put them through conflict. Um, and the way that they react to conflict, the way they deal with it, the way they move forward and push through it um, is going to show your reader a ton. And it's, you're, it's essential to get this right in order to have a character arc. The character arc, as you know, is just basically a transformation. The character should end up being a very different person by the end of the story than they were when they began it. So how do you get to the core of your character? Well, step one is figuring out what do they do when they're in pain? And this sounds kind of strange. Um, what do you mean, what do they do when they're in pain? I don't mean physical pain, by the way. I'm talking about emotional pain. So there tends to be three main reactions that someone has when they're going through something, has been hurt, or is otherwise in pain. A, they will lash out. Um, I use Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender as, a, as an example of this particular reaction because he has major anger issues, as you can see by this photo. And this is what he always does when he feels threatened, when things don't go his way, when he's scared or insecure, he lashes out, he gets angry, he attacks. B, the person will retreat inside themselves or sulk. Think of Mr. Incredible at the beginning of The Incredibles. I'm trying to use stories that like, I feel like a lot of people have seen um, for reference. Um, but if you've seen The Incredibles, great movie. Uh, in the beginning, Mr. Incredible is very upset about the fact that he used to be a superhero and superheroes have been outlawed for years. And so he can't do uh, what he's really good at anymore. And so he's mopey. He doesn't talk very much. He doesn't tell his wife how he's feeling. And he just basically com completely retreats into himself. The third reaction is the person will pretend to be happy. Um, and a perfect example of this is Joy from Inside Out. That's kind of her whole arc throughout that story is going from learning that it's okay to be sad, <laughs> from going from being happiness is the only legitimate emotion and you have to be happy all the time to realizing it's okay to be sad. It's okay to not be okay. Um, and that's where she gets to by the end of that story. But she's a perfect example of that kind of psychology. So the first reaction happens when you have a character who projects, who would rather point to someone else as being the problem than deal with their own flaws, traumas, insecurities, and weaknesses. 
The second occurs when someone is uncomfortable with vulnerability. They would rather deal with their issues on their own. Um, in this case, they'll become withdrawn, they'll sulk. Um, they're aware that there's a problem, but they would rather figure how to deal with it on their own than to rely on others for emotional support. Maybe because they're afraid of overwhelming others, maybe because they don't trust others to be able to take care of them in the way they need to be cared for. It could be a lot of reasons, but essentially they rather deal with it themselves than to bother anybody else with it. The last reaction occurs with people who feel so they have to protect everyone from their negative emotions, including themselves. Um, these people will often be deep into denial, and when pressed, they will deny that they're upset and say that all is well. It might take something really big, um, really dramatic, for them to finally crumble and admit that they're not okay. Which reaction your character has to emotional distress and discomfort will tell you so much about them, how they think about themselves, and how they view themselves in relation to other people. Um, and this is important to know. Again, if the character is going to be developed through conflict, um, because in order for the character, the character is supposed to have a transformation. They start off at point A being one type of way, they end at point B being another type of way. They can't just transform overnight through osmosis. They're going to transform because you're going to have to put them through the specific types of conflict that are going to cause them to grow. Um, grow in a positive direction if they're having a positive character arc and they're going to be a better person at the end or grow in a negative direction if they're going to have a negative character arc and be worse at the end. Um, think of, for example, for a negative character arc, think of Michael Corleone from The Godfather. He still grows. He still evolves. He definitely evolves over the course of the story. He ends as a very different person than when he started, but it's obviously for the worst. So now we're going to talk about what I call the good heart test. Um, and at the end of the day, what this test is, is what does your character do with emotional pain down the road, long term? So in general, people tend to fall into one or two patterns, one of two patterns. They will either want to be for others what they wish they had themselves when they were in pain and when they were experiencing distress, or they will want to make other people feel pain equivalent to what they suffered. Um, and to me, at the end of the day, this is what determines whether or not a character has a good heart. Um, and mind you, a character can have, cannot have a good heart and still be very sympathetic. Again, sympathetic is not the same as likable. Um, so your character can be terrible and have a heart of stone um, and be a horrible human being, and the reader loves them to death. Um, that is totally possible. So you don't have to make sure your characters have a good heart. But it's important to know whether they do or not. So there's also the different ways in which people process pain. Um, does the pain experience cause your character to view other people in a negative or cynical light? Does it completely darken their worldview? Or do they turn the pain inward and blame themselves and start to dislike themselves or blame themselves for all of the problems? Are they interested in dealing with it in hope of maybe growing as a person or finding healing? Or do they do everything in their power to ignore it? This will tell you a lot about your characters um, and how they're going to approach their interaction with others. And this way, when your character, um, when you're putting your character through conflict and they're interacting with these other characters and things are going wrong, as things should in every story, every story should have basically as much going wrong for the character as possible. 
So when things are going wrong, this way you will know what is their characteristic way of reacting to it. What you'll know what they're going to do next. You're going to know how they're going to react and how this is going to affect their other relationships, which is really important. Um, this way, once you know this sort of information, you again, never have to wonder, what will my character do? I have no idea what should happen next. You'll know what should happen next because you'll understand your character's psychology. You'll understand what would be natural for them to do in the moment. Um, and this is really essential because it's important that your characters and your story have a logic to them. Um, I Readers have a really hard time being engaged with illogical stories. And by illogical, I mean, not necessarily uh, that all stories have to be super grounded. And for example, fantasy and sci-fi exists, but you can still have a story that has a bunch of fantastical things or has magic or whatever it may be. Um, and it still has its own internal logic. Same thing with characters. Characters, even if they're doing something that doesn't make sense objectively, even if they're doing something that is clearly a bad idea and where you're screaming at them not to do it, you should understand, the reader should be able to understand why they're doing it according to their own deeper internal logic. The reader should understand, oh, what they're doing objectively doesn't make sense, but they're doing it because they're this way. They're doing it because of X, Y, Z. They're doing it because this is how they always react when someone slights them, whatever it might be. And it's important to get that across um, to your audience. So how do you force a character to grow through conflict? Because um, I like to be very specific and very actionable to give you guys exactly the steps that you need to take um, in order to do this. So how do you force your character to grow through conflict? Number one, you challenge their values. When I teach people how to create compelling characters, the first thing we do is determine three things. The character's core motivation, their core fear, and their core values. Why? Because while there's a lot of information you should know about your character, those three are by far the most important because they tell you how your character sees the world. Those three things show you what drives your character, what is behind their actions and behaviors. Um, values are something that we keep very close to our heart. They're, they literally determine why we believe what we believe, who we vote for, who we vote for, why we care about what we care about the type of people we're going to allow to be in our space and allow to us to have relationships with. It literally determines almost every, it influences almost every aspect of a person's life. And so values are highly individual. Um, they are highly specific. And so the values that your characters clings to, um, again, are really important to know um, and important to challenge. It's important that you put your character in situations in which uh, those values are gonna be contradicted um, or tested. And the question then becomes, which values will your character cling to or, or even double down on under pressure? Which ones will they reject and see as faulty? Um, does your character, when it comes down to it, uh, when they maybe meet someone who challenges the worldview, um, or where they're put in a situation where one of their values um, appears to be false. Will they change? Will they open their minds and maybe reconsider uh, why they hold their values so this particular value so dear? 
or will they cling to it even more tightly um, and just get deep into denial? Again, different characters will do different things, um, but it's important that you know that. Secondly, you can force your character to grow by essentially giving them more than they can handle or giving them more than they believe they can handle. So I said before, pretty much you should make sure everything possible that can go wrong goes wrong for your character. Um, and this is why, again, turning to Robert McKee, he says, true character can only be expressed through choice and dilemma. How the person chooses to act under pressure is who he is. The greater the pressure, the truer and deeper the choice to the character. This is, again, another one of my favorite quotes when it comes to story. This is why a great way to force your character to grow is to force them to deal more than believe they can handle because they're forced to choose between things they never imagined they'd have to choose between. Or they're dealing with a conflict that pushes their most sensitive buttons or is a manifestation of their worst fears. Maybe multiple aspects of their life blow up at the same time um, and they don't know how to deal with it. The question becomes, what does your character do when the worst comes to the worst? What does your character do when their very nightmare happens? Um, the answer to that question gets to the essence, the very heart of who your character is. And this, every time I've seen this in a story, uh, and it makes it even better if you can foreshadow it, where the character maybe says outright, this is my worst nightmare, or the last thing I want is for X, Y, Z to happen. And then later on in the story, X, Y, Z happens. Not only does this make for good character development because you're really testing them, you're not making things easy for them. Um, and in situations of high pressure is either grow or die, essentially. Your character is forced to make a decision. They're forced to be pushed along in their arc and in their journey. And it also shows the reader, it helps the reader be root for the character and be proud of the character, essentially. Because if the character says, the last thing I want to happen is X, Y, Z type of event. Last thing I want to happen is to lose so-and-so. And then later on in the story, that very thing happens and they are able to overcome it if they're having a positive character arc. They are able to overcome it. They are able to recover. They are able to uh, push through and grow and make better decisions. Well, that makes for a really good story. Talk about emotionally impactful. You're going to be so, the reader's going to be so proud of that character because they know exactly how hard it was for them to deal with exactly that type of situation. Um, and so this is perfect uh, for when you want to show your character having a big change. And what type of conflict you should be putting your character through essentially depends on the type of story you're trying to tell. Um, I would say the greater the conflict, the more dramatic the conflict, the bigger the character's change should be. So another thing you want to figure out about your character and that will really help you solidify how they're going to show up in their relationships is something called attachment style. Um, and this is a well-researched phenomenon. Um, I highly recommend you look it up. It's really fascinating. Um, but essentially, there are three types of attachment styles. And attachment styles just basically determine exactly what I just said, how, how a person shows up in their relationships um, and how comfortable uh, they are and how healthy and secure they are within relationships. And there's three types of attachment styles. There's a secure attachment style, 
Um, there's an avoiding attachment style and there's an anxious attachment style. And in order to determine which one your character has, um, I recommend, I'm gonna read three different blurbs to you. Uh, one that corresponds to each of these and whichever one sounds the most like your main character or your point of view character, that's the one that they are. So option A, I find it relatively easy to get close to others and I'm comfortable depending on them and having them depend on me. I don't worry about being abandoned or about someone getting too close to me. Option B is I find that others are reluctant to get as close to me as I would like. I often worry my partner or loved ones don't really love me or won't want to stay with me. I want to get very close to people and this sometimes scares people away. Option C, I'm somewhat uncomfortable being close to others. I find it difficult to trust them completely, difficult to allow myself to depend on them. I'm nervous when anyone wants to get too close and often others want me to be more intimate than I feel comfortable being. So option A, a secure attachment where love and trust come easily. If this person is comfortable giving and receiving love and is not insecure about their relationships. And by relationships, by the way, I don't just mean romantic relationships. I mean any type of relationship. Option B is called an anxious attachment. Uh, this one at the end, which is where one longs to be intimate with others, but is continually scared of letdown and often precipitates crises in relationships through counterproductively aggressive behavior. They crave intimacy, closeness, and vulnerability with other people, but they're often afraid that others don't care about them as much as they do. Um, they're constantly afraid of abandonment. Option C is avoidant attachment, where it feels much easier to avoid the dangers of intimacy through solitary activities and emotional withdrawal. These people are uncomfortable with too much intimacy, affection, closeness, and vulnerability and they have a tendency to retreat and go cold when they become overwhelmed um, by other people's emotions or even their own emotions. So this might sound to you like a lot of psychological mumbo jumbo, but it's really, uh, it really helps when it comes to uh, determining your care's course of action. And again, figuring out how they're going to relate to other people um, and what their next move is whenever they do experience conflict with someone. Someone with a secure attachment style is going to react very differently uh, to a breakup, for example, than someone with an avoidant attachment style. And again, that person is going to react very differently than someone with an anxious attachment style. Um, so it's important to know who your character is and to have a highly specific take on them. Um, everything I'm teaching you guys is purposely extremely specific um, because if you want your character to feel like a real person, People are very specific and you're not going to find the same constellation of traits, behaviors, motivations, values, beliefs, and any two people. You're not going to. And therefore you shouldn't in any two characters. Um, and so it's important that you understand not just the way any old person would react to the conflict or the situation you're putting your character through, but that you understand how this particular person, this particular point of view character, would react to this situation. Um, and so I recommend that you go through for all of your point of view characters um, and determine whether they are secure, avoidant, or anxious. Um, and I left these blurbs on the slides, um, which um, I sent to Grace. You guys might also be able to get access to those um, after the presentation. Um, and I recommend you go through those and determine which category 
um, your main character or your point of view characters fall into. So moving on to relationships. One of the best ways to show character development and one of the best ways to put your character through conflict is to do it through their relationships. And when I say relationships, I mean all three types of relationships, platonic, familial, or romantic. Why? Because what helps your character, your character isn't in a vacuum. They're not experiencing the events of the story by themselves. Um, chances are you have a whole cast of characters. Um, and one problem I see quite often is when you basically have the main character, you have the point of view characters, and essentially the rest of the cast doesn't even need to be there. They serve almost no purpose in the story, um, and they're not doing anything to push the character along in their journey um, or to force them to grow. In order to write a memorable, powerful story, um, we want to change that. And so there are four ingredients that you need uh, in, in order to write any kind of meaningful relationship in fiction. And these things, and again, they apply to all three types of relationships, platonic, familial, or romantic. Um, and these four key ingredients are points of connection, empathy and support, vulnerability, and intimacy. So I found that a lot of fictional relationships in, in stories, and this goes again, movies, TV, books, it doesn't matter. A lot of fictional relationships are lacking. They are one inch deep. You might have this group of lifelong friends who never have a deep conversation or two love interests who have no reasons to like each other other than the plot requires it and they're both hot. Um, you might have siblings who live with each other their entire lives, but somehow the relationship feels shallow in one note. Um, it's become especially apparent to me uh, right now because I'm writing a romance novel and so I've been reading a lot of romance novels. Um, and I, it's so hard to find anything that's actually well-developed and satisfying. And it seems to be because a lot of writers don't realize the elements required to convey a real in-depth connection uh, between two or more people. And I believe a connection between two characters should be something that the audience can feel. Again, because the true purpose of stories is to make your reader feel something. So believe it or not, there isn't too much of a difference between the ingredients between a familial relationship, a platonic relationship, and a romantic one. All of them require the same four things. One, points of connection. So this means elements of their lives or personalities that they bond over. It could be having similar interests, shared trauma, being at the same summer camp as kids, uh, anything that could be a link to the other person. It could be talking about their common likes or dislikes. But basically, for the audience to believe that these people truly care about each other, they have to see that there's actually something to hang your coat on in this relationship. Otherwise, the characters are only together by circumstance um, because they have the same parents go to the same school or happen to find the other attractive. And for a relationship to be meaningful, it has to go beyond the surface. Two, empathy and support. So this is a big one uh, because real relationships are about seeing the other person and being seen. And there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Um, sympathy is showing compassion or pity for another person. Empathy is actually putting yourself in that other person's shoes. Um, sympathy is I feel bad for you. Empathy is I understand where you're coming from. So it's important to show the characters meeting each other where they're at 
and approaching each other and the conflict that occurs between them from a place of understanding. The best way to really convey the depth and power of any sort of relationship is to show the characters supporting each other through hard times, conflict, doubt, and insecurity. And it shows the audience that these two or more characters don't just have fun banter, they're there for each other in the bad times too. Three, vulnerability. The crux of vulnerability, the way I essentially define it, is to show someone your heart and kind of trust them not to crush it. Um, this can take the form of one character showing another a side of themselves that maybe no one else sees. Um, maybe they're the bad boy at school, but really they love Disney movies um, and they only reveal this to this other person. It could be someone confiding in someone else about a ne negative experience or trauma they've had in the past. It could be a character doing something or having a new experience that scares them because they trust the other person to keep them safe. Vulnerability requires the characters in the relationship showing each other the softer, more sensitive parts of themselves that they usually guard from other people. It's a sign of trust, a sign of immense trust. And you can't have a meaningful relationship if the characters don't trust each other deeply. Lastly, intimacy. Um, so what do I mean by intimacy? Uh, to be clear, I'm not talking about sex. Intimacy, when it comes down to it, is just showing that these people, and again, it could be two people, it could be a group of people, but just showing that these people are at their most relaxed and uninhibited with each other. This ingredient is especially important when it comes to romantic relationships, but it's also important when it comes to familial or platonic ones as well. Signs of intimacy can be casual touch, being silly with each other, giving each other nicknames, having inside jokes that other people won't understand, telling each other secrets, not looking super put together around each other, not having to filter or censor yourself around each other. So in general, if you have relationships in your story and you find that relationships between certain characters is lacking, or you have a bunch of characters in your story that don't really serve any purpose, or you have two characters who are supposed to be close but don't really share any meaningful connection, chances are you're missing at least one of these four ingredients. Um, and if you ever discover that due to the nature of your story, you, the story that you're telling, you need the relationship to get deeper really quickly, this is the way to do it. If you double down on points of connection, vulnerability, empathy and support, and intimacy, you can convince the reader, uh, convincingly have two characters go from barely knowing each other to being super close in a very short amount of time, in a very short amount of pages. Um, so once you understand this, you can turn them up or turn them down depending on how quickly or how slowly you want a relationship to develop um, and to move forward. And so um, that's why I really like to get down into the nitty gritty and define exactly what I mean um, when I say meaningful relationships and exactly what goes into them, because that gives you more control as the author. So again, cannot emphasize enough, your character should have changed by the end of the story. They should have changed and they should be able to articulate um, that change. So your character by the end should be aware of the fact that they are not the same person um, that they started out as in the beginning. Um, they should be able to hopefully somehow, you don't have to be super obvious about it. You don't have to hit the reader over the head with it, but they should be able to also, like other characters should notice this. They should notice this. It should be acknowledged by the end that this transformation has happened. Um, and I think when you do this right, it can be really powerful and it can really uh, 
it can really change like people's lives. I call super storytelling a superpower um, because it has the power to change people's minds and to impact them emotionally like nothing else can. And we need more stories that are going to teach us um, that reflect reality and going to teach us how to be better humans in a way that's achievable. Um, and so I recommend that you essentially interview all of your point of view characters. Um, and if you just have one main character, then just interview your main character. And pretty much any character where we're going to be, the reader's going to be planted in their shoes, I recommend you interview them and ask them these questions. Um, and this also serves as kind of a summary of everything I've been talking about. So ask them, how do you react when you're in pain? Do you lash out, do you sulk, or pretend to be happy? When someone causes you pain, do you turn around and try to make others feel as bad as you feel? Or do you want to be for others what you wish you had? Are you secure or insecure in your relationships? How comfortable are you being loved and cared about and loving and caring about other people? The answers might surprise you. Um, and you'll now have everything written in black and white. And so when you're putting your, you'll know exactly what you need to put your character through in order for them to change. You know exactly how they're going to, how it's going to impact them and how they're going to deal and react to these changes, these conflicts, um, these pressures and events and dilemmas that you're going to plant purposely and intentionally plant them into. And so that's pretty much all I've got for you guys um, today. If you um, liked everything you heard today and you're interested in working with me one-on-one, um, or to enroll in my course, because I have a course that teaches my unique framework uh, for writing memorable, powerful novels every time, um, despite genre or whether you're a pants or a plotter. Um, if you're interested, you can go to promo.bookclinicnyc.com slash apply. Um, and yeah, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. That's pretty much all I've got for you guys today. This is so awesome. Oh my gosh. I was over here furiously taking notes. <laughs> um, so I do have a couple of questions coming in from the, oh, Eileen says applause. Um, I have a few questions coming in on the chat over here. Let's see. Let's go through. Okay. So starting at the beginning, um, one of the questions that we got has to do with protagonists and villains. And they're wondering, mm -hmm. does the character pushing the story forward have to be the protagonist or can it be your non-main characters or your villain? That's a good question. I would say they can be a mix of multiple, but I would say at the when it comes down to it, your point of view characters, your main characters should be the ones that are pushing the story for it. Obviously in the very beginning of the story, uh, when things are still normal for them and the events of the plot haven't really kicked into place, there's not much that they're going to be doing. They're just kind of going to be living their life. Then the big event happens, the inciting incident that basically starts the plot um, and starts the character on this journey of change. You can definitely have other characters, side characters, or the antagonists of the story uh, push the character along as well. But I think it's important that the character is making decisions um, and taking actions that they can't take back um, as they grow and as they change over the course of the story. Right. Um, I teach that one way to do this is for every act uh, to end with your character making an irrevocable decision or action that's going to push the story forward. Um, this ensures that they're not just being strung along by the plot um, and just doing whatever the plot requires, but that they are the drivers of the story. Um, because again, uh, it should be character driven. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I like that ending an act on a, an action. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And then um, Becca asks, would you liken this character reaction to things? Like, how would you connect it with the idea of like an inner wound? Because I know that's something that people talk about in character development sometimes. Yes. That's, uh, that's actually something I teach as well. So yes, if your character um, has an inner wound, which I do recommend pretty much uh, point of view characters should have one of those. Some people call it the ghost. Some people call it the wound. They can be used interchangeably. Um, but essentially, they should be connected. Um, the way your character reacts to conflicts, the way that they deal with pain, all of these things that we just talked about should be influenced by their ghost or their wound or whatever bad thing slash trauma has happened to them in their past. Um, this is why it's important to, like I said, before you start asking your character these questions, before you start interviewing them in this fashion, for you to know at least some basic information about them and who they are. Um, and if you're struggling with this, I recommend you go back to what are my character's core motivation, their core fear, and their core values. Um, everything should be cohesive. So yeah, if your character say uh, it's a tycoon sulks whenever uh, they're experiencing conflict or they're experiencing some kind of emotional distress, um, just draw the, connect the dots for the reader that they react this way because X, Y, Z happened in their past and this is how they learn to deal with these types of situations. Um, All right. Yeah. Okay. And then let's see, two, it looks like two more questions down here. Um, one is, can a character have a worldview that is dark or really negative and still have a good heart? Absolutely. I would say so. Absolutely. Actually, I find that like a really fascinating uh, character dynamic. Um, yeah, I think I was actually just reading a book called uh, Leon the Offbeat by Becky Abertelli. It's the sequel to Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which was turned mm -hmm. into a movie. Mm -hmm. um, and this character, the main character, is very cynical, um, has very much a very cynical and kind of dark view of the world. Um, but her actions when she's put into conflict and when she's put into dilemmas, her actions show that she really does have a good heart um, and that she does try to be there for other people, which is surprising for the reader to basically discover through the course of the story, because you wouldn't assume that based off of the, the kind of the, how you see her in the beginning. Um, right. And I really enjoyed that book uh, and thought that was really well done. Yeah, it was one of my favorite things is when you have kind of like a villainous character yeah. that like actually has a really good heart and they're just kind of like making bad decisions. <laughs> like you just like, they become a villain, like not necessarily out of villainous intent, but just because like they felt like these are the decisions they had to make and everything goes south. And now everyone they're a villain. I think that's so cool. I think it's yeah. also like weirdly true to life. But um, okay, and then final question, kind of a big picture question. If you're writing a series, say, mm -hmm. and you're gonna have a long character arc, how do you recommend, or do you have tips for sort of pacing that character growth across like a trilogy or a longer series? That is a really, really good question. Um, luckily I've been asked this before, so I do have an <laughs> answer. Um, I recommend, so exactly what I said about act structure, how at the end of every act, your character should be making a decision or an action that pushes the story forward and pushes them along in their arc. Um, when you have a series, let's say a trilogy, just as an example, uh, the same thing should happen at the end of every book. So you should have one overall character arc um, that is going to happen from beginning to end, from book one to book three. Um, your character is going to start off in book one being this way, and by the end of book three, hopefully after going through three books of things, they're going to be like a totally different person. Yeah. Um, but each of those books, um, books one, two, three, 
should also have kind of, just like you have subplots, kind mm -hmm. of a sub arc. Um, one that feeds into the larger arc, but at the same time, isn't the whole thing. Um, so uh, for example, Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series, um, the character is essentially goes from being super shy, uh, super uh, insecure and not really sure of herself to by the end of the series, she's like the biggest badass in the world um, and just like kicking butt, taking names, making really hard decisions, uh, doing the hard thing, even when there's consequences, all of that good stuff. And each book, she has a mini arc. Book one, she learns to trust people. Um, book two, she learns to believe in herself and she learns um, how to not see herself as kind of like this monster, which she's always believed. Mm -hmm. Book three um, is her finally learning that sometimes in order to do the right thing, you have to make really hard decisions. Um, mm -hmm. And so all of these feed into her larger overall arc, but she's right. growing slowly over the course of the books. And you never uh, end a book without feeling, without the reader feeling like there's been some sort of transformation had. Yeah, and then I guess I actually have a follow-up question about that. Yeah. If, you're, if you're writing a first book and you kind of developed this first book and then somewhere along there you decide, you know what, I think this should be a series. Do you think that, yeah, do you think <laughs> that like you have to go back and sort of like take away some of that character development or do you feel like, oh no, there's always like more development that your character can do? Cause I feel like sometimes you read a book, like a series and you read that first one and you're like, I think this was originally a standalone. Yeah. You know yeah. I, mean? I totally understand what you're saying. Um, I think you could go honestly either way. That's one of those things that kind of is on a case by case basis um, and basically depends on what you're more comfortable with as the author. Mm -hmm. um, I would say if you want, if you start off writing book one and then your character has a certain arc and then you decide you want it to be serious, you're like, actually this arc the character had, I want that, I don't only want them to get to this place by the end of the series, then right. yeah, you're gonna have to cut some stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think if you've written the whole book, um, and you aren't necessarily married to the character achieving this particular type of transformation by the end of the series, then yeah, there's always room to grow. You can always give your character a new problem. And if your character is changing and growing and they start each book as a slightly different person than they started the last book as, um, there should always be room to grow. There should always be room for more conflict, uh, for more problems, for more lessons to be learned. Awesome, yeah. Well, um, wow, we're like perfectly on time here. It's 2.50. <laughs> Um, is there any other miscellaneous words of advice you'd like to throw out as a closing statement? Um, not really. I feel like I've been, I hope I didn't overwhelm people. I feel like I just kind of sprayed a fire hose at you guys. Um, it might be one people have to watch multiple times, you know? Yeah. I highly recommend watching it multiple times. <laughs> and then um, just to reiterate, how can people find you if they want to follow you, see more of your work? read things you've written, yeah. find you online, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, my website is uh, bookclinicnyc.com. Uh, um, it'll give you information about my writing process, about uh, my framework for teaching uh, how to write powerful stories, um, more about me and all of that good stuff. It also has a, a button to contact me there. Um, if you're interested in working on me, working with me one-on-one -on, -one on your manuscript, uh, then you can go to promo.bookclinicnyc.com slash apply. Um, and that'll take you to a page where it talks about my writing coaching programs um, and how you can get involved. Awesome.
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. I Thanks am really looking forward to hopefully having you back again sometime because this was amazing. Um, and um, yeah, we will hopefully see you soon. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure teaching you. Um, and I hope you guys got some value out of this.